1: Welcome to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM Channel 159, the Sports Grid Radio Network. Over the course of the next hour, we're going to hang out with Tony Mejia at Mejia Danero on Twitter. Tony and I are going to break down the NBA playoffs. Four series left, four series to discuss. Eight teams still standing. If every game. In this round, and in the conference finals, and in the NBA finals, goes a full seven, if every series, I should say, goes a full seven games. There's only 39 games left in the season right now. And every series is not going to go a full the seven games. So we're in the home stretch of the NBA. Tony and I are going to try to make some sense of what we're seeing here in the postseason, what teams we want to be betting on, what players and props we want to be betting on and against. Uh, We'll have a detailed discussion with Tony coming up in a few moments. First, I want to give my closing thoughts on the 2022 NFL draft. And let me start here, okay? Never, ever, ever forget that every draft analysis is wrong, okay? The mock drafts aren't far off, all right? Picking who's going to get picked where, I mean, the books took a beating again this year when it comes to the NFL draft props. I mean a real beating. Um to go back and talk to bookmakers, I'll tell you last Thursday, the single worst day of the year for a lot of sports books. Um when it came to the first round draft props on a day where oh by the way, MLB favorites went 11 and 0 and NBA favorites went 3 and 0 and uh won every draft prop basically. <laughs> so, you know, the the, the Pre-draft analysis, who's going to get drafted where, can be spot on. The post-draft analysis, I'm telling you, if you grade out the projections, every year you're going to give pretty much everyone an F for what (laughs) they predicted uh, or their thoughts about the draft. And, I mean, the one that always stands out to me, you know, uh, I'm going to tell you a story on tomorrow's show about the, the, the single worst beat in MLB and any sport that I that, that I that I've seen since I've been in Vegas, um, the betting marketplace can offer value sometimes. Sometimes there's going to be brutal beats when it comes to the NFL post draft marketplace. Look, there are two things uh, that, that are worth noting. Number one is that all the draft analysis is wrong. And uh, again, uh, I'm going to give the, the the best example that I could think of. Which is the Seahawks' 2012 draft? A draft in which they got two Hall of Famers, Hall of Famers, Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. They also got Marshawn Lynch in that draft, and that was the you know the that draft was the architect for their Super Bowl runs a few years later. Go back and read the analysis after that draft for Seattle, which is as good a draft as any team has had in the last ten years. Ds, Fs. Worst draft, they're idiots. Pete Carroll doesn't know what he's doing. Seattle doesn't know what they're doing. They all (laughs) graded the Seahawks wrong. So an opportunity to talk with a couple of bookmakers uh, uh, since the NFL draft. And one of the guys have to say, hey, there's not one team that I would price even a half point differently after the draft than I did before the draft. That got me thinking. Who would I price differently now than I would have priced them, you know, a few weeks ago? And there's a handful of teams that I think are better or worse based on the draft itself. And it's not just who they drafted. It's how they drafted. Let me give you an example. Okay. I don't have an issue with Pittsburgh picking Kenny Pickett number one with their first round draft choice. I mean, I have issues with it. But whatever. team's going to take the guy who they think and you know help them down the road. But regardless of how you feel about Pickett, that changes your opinion about Pittsburgh for the 2022 season. Pickett's gonna be live to start, Mitch Trubisky's gonna be live to sit, so instead of a veteran QB, they're very likely to have a rookie quarterback. And that changes Pittsburgh's projection for this season, most assuredly. Look at the Saints. Okay, the Saints, 9-8 and eight last year, finished in second place in the NFC South. Huge salary cap issues. Jettisoning talent when it comes to cuts. And then all of a sudden you see what they're doing in the draft. And the Saints trading up, making win-now moves. My opinion about New Orleans for the 2022 season has changed based on the draft. I don't have them in rebuild mode. I have them in their live mode. And that comes from an organizational standpoint the organization telling us what to do uh, what they're doing which is playing for now a couple of teams i thought had real good drafts that again changes my opinion about them for this year the giants are suddenly an interesting team the new york football giants and again their draft got mediocre grades what they did, you know, look, the Giants, in theory, have a quarterback. In theory, have the skill, position, weapons. In theory, have a decent defense. What they do, they built in the trenches. Two picks in the top six, both one on of the offensive side, one on the defensive side. If Danny Dimes is time to throw, Giants are an interesting team to consider. And, of course, Baltimore, another team who's, you know, uh, I mean, you're Kyle Hamilton's who are going to drop. Because they didn't run. They ran a 4-6-40 at the combine. You know, um, this is the guy has been playing. who's rejected top five all season as an impact player. But one bad combine 40, and all of a sudden he drops. Baltimore got a lot better in the draft. They're one team that has all the makings of a bet on squad if the Lamar Jackson situation works itself out. Tony Mejia coming up next. Cover it continues Let's get into it. Teddy Covers here on Cover It with Teddy Covers, Sirius XM Channel 159. I want to bring in Tony Mejia right now, at Mejia De Niro. That's M-E-J-I-A, Mejia De Niro, D-I-N-E-R-O, Mejia De Niro. Tony's Money, <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, Tony Mejia, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Teddy. How are you? I'm doing all right. We've got a ton to talk about, obviously, NBA playoffs on center stage. We're going to have plenty of time talking about the NBA, but first at the top of the show, I was talking about the NFL draft and saying, look, basically the mock drafts aren't far off, but the post-draft opinions and projections are always off. You If we had to grade them out every year, we grade them an F uh, every year. Um, that said, <laughs> as handicappers and analysts, we have to make opinions about who drafted who and where they drafted them, and does that make their team any better uh, for this year. And I talked to bookmakers in town post-draft, and the general consensus is basically there's not anybody that got a whole lot better or a whole lot worse. The one quote is, there's not one team I would price even a half point differently after the draft than before. And in the opener, I talked a little bit about a couple teams that might disagree Pittsburgh, drafting a rookie QB, you have to downgrade them. The Saints, trading up, making win-now moves, you have to upgrade them. Baltimore, with another brilliant draft, taking all the players that slip for no reason, you have to upgrade the Ravens. The Giants, a team that, boy, the Giants are really interesting to me. You know, (laughs) if their offensive defensive lines can play, and Danny Dimes can play, the Giants have win the division upside. So, a handful of teams stood out to me as... Yeah, my opinions are going to change about them after the draft. What about you, Tony? Let me start with this. Are there any teams, in general, yeah, let's start with the general and then move to the specific. In general, is the draft going to move the needle for you, uh, for teams, when it comes to I like them or dislike them this year? Or is the draft much more about the health of the organization and the state of the team two, three, four years down the road than it is for this particular
2: season? Well, we we will say this: the NFL is a young man's game. I mean, you can really come in and have an impact immediately uh, if uh, if you get adjusted to the speed of the game uh, you know from the from the volume standpoint of who they selected and uh, you know getting them within the first 36 picks you got to love what the Jets did um, Brees Hall I think w- w- was a, the best running back available and they got him at 36 they got one of the best pass rushers available in Jermaine Johnson from Florida State and obviously the your, uh, their, their number four pick was sauce Gardner who fits in uh, stealing headlines. let me jump in.
1: And, Let me jump in real quick, Tony, because I specifically excluded the Jets from my, they changed my opinion about this team this year, not because I didn't think they had a good draft, but because the Jets were so far, you know, the Jets and the Jaguars were the two two worst teams in the NFL last year, and when you look at their position groups, they have a hundred needs to fill, and they might have filled some of them, but the Jets aren't going to be good this year, are they?
2: I mean look I'm I'm talking about improvement like that that's that's the one takeaway in the, uh, a team that got instantly better because of the draft I think are the New York Jets but we'll see whether that you know makes a difference between winning 5 games and you know improving to 3 so uh but, but look I mean we we've got uh, the Giants that you mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau you know would have gone number 1 if the, if he had a better senior season and done better in interviews uh but or Final season because he wasn't a senior. But the bottom line is, I thought they got great value for him at the number five spot. From a fit standpoint, uh, you know, you, you, you like what uh, the uh, the. The uh, New Orleans Saints did with Chris Olave. They obviously needed a number one wide receiver. I think he steps right in, a uh, kid out of Ohio State. But yeah, And you mentioned the Ravens with uh, Kyle Hamilton slipping to them, a, a tailor-made Raven. But look, I mean, I, there, there's still a, a ton to be determined, obviously. Uh, and uh, what happens in the, in the mini camps, in the training camps before, uh, you know, even the preseason, I think goes a lot further than just what the draft, the uh, you know, three days of, of draft results unfolded
1: well yeah I mean if, I, if I'm trying to you know give a a basis point for where to start my NFL handicapping for 2022. You know, I'm going to start with the 2021 statistical profiles. We're going to look at turnover margin. You know, uh, Is that likely to improve get better or worse uh, this year? you are going to look at uh, yards per play numbers offensively and defensively uh, and see if those numbers are likely to be improved. Were there, was the team particularly good or bad in close games? Game decided by a field goal or less? Game decided by a touchdown or less? Do we see improvement in those uh, categories? And only then you know, once you've gotten through that, then you start to look at the personnel and how that's changed. So, my initial assessment for a team is largely based on was last year real or not. <laughs> and that is where I my, my starting point is. For handicapping this season's team. And then you start going through the personnel. And when you're going through the personnel, Tony, the first thing you're going to do is free agents, not draft wise. Right. You know, absolutely. yeah, you get the Jamar Chase that comes in and uh, uh, brings the team to a Super Bowl every once in a while. But, <laughs> you know, I can remember last year when all the post draft analysis was like, the Bengals shouldn't have drafted a wide receiver. They need offensive line help. Another F
2: grade from the post draft <laughs> analyzers. Right. I'm looking at, at, you know, we know that the AFC West has gotten a lot stronger. We figure that if uh, Deshaun Watson hits the ground running, you know, the, the Cleveland Browns are ready to take another step. And uh, the, uh, the NFCE still stinks, but may stink a little less that Philadelphia and Washington can improve a little more. And, and I think that the Giants will. Yeah, and it's funny because you talk about Philadelphia and Washington. I think Dallas is probably going to take a step back this year.
1: Um, I don't like anything Dallas did this off season. Uh, and, of course, you know the Cowboys have been competing uh, for that division title throughout the Dak Prescott era. I'm not convinced that's going to be the case in uh, 2022. 20, what do you think of the Cowboys draft? You know, bringing in the uh, offensive tackle from Tulsa. Uh, Smith, a guy who they're saying he's NFL ready. Um, that's been elite offensive line for a number of years. I'm not convinced it's elite this year, and, and that makes me very concerned about the Cowboys.
2: Yeah, certainly. Jerry Jones felt the need to justify it by showing the media his draft board the next day. Uh, I I thought it was a little defensive, so maybe he's telling on himself there a little bit. Uh, Didn't move the needle this uh, 2022 uh, Dallas Cowboys draft, but you know they they need to stay healthy first and foremost, and and they are still the most talented team in that division. But certainly, uh, they could take a step backwards if uh, if the the injuries, uh, uh, you know, are, are a factor. Once again, and, and a team like uh, uh, New York or Philadelphia makes a makes a step significant uh, step forward. I'm, you know, the, the Eagles have the personnel to get it done because they added another playmaker in AJ Brown, uh, but can can Hertz get them the ball? That's a million dollar question in Philly. I mean, Hertz. Uh, I'll put it this way: uh, kids got upside.
1: Um, I, I wouldn't sell Jalen Hurts short. Um, I think he's capable uh, of being an elite. NFL QB. What about sleepers? Anyone stand out to you for sleeper? I mean, the one guy that stood out to me really, uh, the Purdue wide receiver David Bell went in the third round to Cleveland, and this is a guy you want to talk about a, a tailor made to be a possession receiver in the NFL. You know, uh, David Bell, over and over again for Purdue, he was the only guy they had that was a threat. He was double in double coverage, and he found a way to catch a bunch of passes in traffic. Um, I think he'll have an impact. Uh, on Cleveland early. Anyone stand out to you as a sleeper that may make a team a little bit better, that, uh, you know, not a first round guy necessarily? Uh-
2: yeah, I, l- I liked a lot of the second-round receivers. Uh, Wondell Robinson to the Giants. You know, he started his career at Nebraska, went to Kentucky, and played really well there. John Metchie fell with the very next pick, 44, to the to the Houston Texans. I think he finds a role immediately. Tyquan Thornton, the burner from Baylor, ends up with the Patriots, where he, they have a, a, a vacancy to fill in terms of needing playmakers at that position. And George Pickens out of Georgia, who was uh, who was injured a lot of, uh, of last season, he ends up with the Steelers. Sky Moore, he'll, he'll have a role with the. With the Chiefs, anybody who was in on action with Western Michigan remembers him and his name and his speed. So, yeah, a lot of second-round receivers that uh, that raised my eyebrows. Sky Moore, uh, I believe he uh, went into pit and beat
1: Kenny Pickett and the Panthers straight up, 44-41. Yeah, I had a winning bet on Western Michigan in that ball game, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, even though uh, the Panthers did get to twenty uh, sorry in the 40s in that ball game. More with Tony coming up next. Come-
0: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
1: There's nothing like being involved, informed with all the odds analysis and best bets all day long. Don't miss anything from our programming. Go to Twitter and follow us at SportsGrid and at SportsGridTV to stay informed all day long. You'll see clips, breaking news, updates, and pretty much everything else at SportsGrid and at SportsGridTV on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore covers. You can follow today's guest, Tony Mejia, on Twitter at Mejia. Tony, last week on the show, uh, I had Sean Patrick Griffin on talking about the Tim Donahue scandal. He wrote one of the books uh, on the Donahue scandal called Gaming the Game. I always thought it was a real good read because it had uh, it was sourced very differently from many of the other books <laughs> uh, written uh, on the Tim Donahue scandal. And I didn't even realize, I didn't even know that you had... A Tim Donahue connection. Tell the story behind it. Uh, take your time. Tell me your involvement in Tim Donahue getting
2: busted. Well, from uh, from 2004 to 2008, I was at CBS Sports, CBS Sports Line, in a. In a and another way to say it, because it was sportsline.com first. Anyway, the CBS uh, Sports. I was their NBA beat, national beat writer, and it just so happened that I got a phone call very early that morning. On uh, it was it was an early July. Obviously, we're into the off season, and uh, you know the, the New York Post had said there's a there's an investigation going on, where the FBI has poked around and uh, you know, in, in, in their in their surveying of, uh, of organized crime, has uh, uncovered that there is a rogue referee operating uh, and controlling the point spread on games, which obviously is a huge deal. Uh, we think it's Tim Donahue is what my what my editor said, and we need you to hammer it down. Now the reason why they thought it was Tim Donahue is another employee at the, at CBS had a connection through backchannels, like it was it was completely, uh, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend that caught wind of this as well that it was coming down. So I already had the name, and I had uh, a couple of people in my phone and uh, Rick Carlisle. I don't think I'll get him in trouble with this. Rick Carlisle ends up. On the other line, and uh, he was out golfing with Doc Rivers. I'll never forget it. And I said, "Hey, I've heard this. Uh, can you? Can you?" Tell you know, tell me if it's true, and he said, "Yeah, that's that's what we're hearing too." And then so I called Tim Frank, who is uh, the media relations to this day still, uh, and I said, "Hey, I got I, I got the name. It's going to be out there shortly." And he appreciated the heads up. And then within you know 15, 20 minutes, everybody else was reporting it, but uh, we were first at CBS Sports, and I, you know, there's still the, the pieces places in the internet where my name is referenced right next to Tim Donaghy is the guy who. Who uh, who named him? Uh, you know, said this is this is who it is.
1: Breaking the story uh, on the CBS Sportsline Line back in the day. Now, did your did your research or analysis confirm? What the mainstream opinion was about Donahue was that he was affecting totals on various games and he was betting on, you know, the questions was he was betting on other teams' games where he says he wasn't uh, uh, involved in fixing uh, any games that he was involved in. He was just betting other refs' tendencies. Um, And yet the totals were moving pretty heavy on his games. It wasn't sides that they were trying to beat. It was totals. Um, right did your research what did your research show when it came to that
2: uh, I mean uh, just what I read going forward because there was obviously such a such an enthralling you know I love gambling I love the NBA, and bam somebody actually gamed the system uh, and yeah like you like you said it was mostly totals that were affected and steamed upwards and they somehow always got over and that's really what uh what our three can most control I mean they, they play the games with uh, Scott Foster and Chris Paul right now but the whole I think there will be a microscope if, if Foster ever whistles, uh, uh, you know, a ticky-tack call on Paul and, and, and does that. I mean, I think at this point you know that refs can most impact the game uh, by making calls or not making calls so you know we, we i think over the the Donahue thing we put put uh, the refs under more of a scrutiny both internally within the league and then from the from the betting markets you know where we can go on uh, any number of websites and and see trends of who who's an over ref who's an under ref who's a home ref uh so it certainly is another piece to add to your your handicapping
1: do you do that? I mean, are you someone that, lo- that goes back and looks at referee stats when you're betting totals? Because it's never something that I've done personally for the NBA. It's Like I- too much, well, they, 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 like the uh, analysis by paralysis. You know, where there's just too much info. Uh, I find like that can sometimes give me a li- you know more to think about than I want to think about or than I'm capable of processing for any given ball game. Uh, is that something you look at
2: during playoffs? It's a staple. Every day I'll know who the referees are. And they even tweeted out uh when when it it deserves it. Uh, just simply because you, you know, Mark Davis is going to let let calls go. I mean, he's known as a guy who's going to let guys play. I think that's the, why guys really uh, like him as, you know, not necessarily a player's ref, but somebody that, that commands respect. Um, you know, and he's, he, to me, is the most consistent referee, where there are others. You know, I, I like Zach Zarba a, a lot, but yeah, Scott Foster, he, he deserves his reputation. He's almost a prick out there, uh, and certainly Certainly rubs other players the wrong way, and I think uh, you know in a playoff game. Because obviously during the regular season, you know it's hard to. Kind of hone in on who's who's most motivated, and that's why you take points a lot, or you, uh, you know, you're you're not swayed by a, a key member of a, of a team being down because you know it forces other guys to step up. But in the playoffs, where uh, everything unfolds in you know three to four minute stretches, and and you kind of can see the way that a game unfolds, uh, it's obviously key to me that, to know who the referees are going into every game.
1: So, do you still think? I mean, I got to ask you straight up. Do you think games are on the up and up in the NBA, or do you still think there's referee manipulation? Because if you're checking out the ref assignments for every game in the postseason, that makes me think that you may think that these games are not fully on the up and up, or maybe not fully on the up and up is the wrong way to state it, but that there's some league-slash-referee influence in the postseason. Um, do you think that?
2: I do. Uh, I mean, I think games are on the up and up. I, I absolutely think that, but I also think that there is uh, information to be retrieved from, say, uh, say I, uh, I want to bet the Memphis Grizzlies in a game three, and I don't like. Uh, you know, a couple of the refs because they do call touch fouls. Uh, and then I'm worried about Jaron Jackson Jr., who can't stay out of foul trouble to save his life. And when he does, he really makes an impact. And when he doesn't, uh, it obviously hurts the Grizzlies. So, yeah, I'd, I'd want to know that. And I would, it would certainly temper my enthusiasm of a, of a Memphis bet if I don't like who the refs are in that particular game. Okay,
1: so it's not so much that you think the refs aren't on the up and up, but the referee tendencies are something that you can take advantage of in the postseason. Uh, you have the time to do it. There aren't quite so many games. Uh, and Absolutely. that's something that makes sense. So it's not its not like you're looking at these games, right? They're fixed. You're looking at these games and saying, hey, we can make money off referee uh, tendencies and, and, you know, if a ref's gonna let them play, that's good for a physical team like Memphis. If a ref is gonna be whistling ticky tack fouls, that's bad for a physical team uh, like Memphis. So that's the type of analysis that you're trying to break down. Uh, yes?
2: Exactly right. Exactly right, and it was uh, it was a birthday present on Friday that Chris Paul doesn't get uh, Scott Foster, so <laughs> that, you know, that was that was kind of seen as that. Uh, but yeah, look, well, I in baseball, you 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 would love to know who the uh, home plate umpire is if uh, the information, you know, if you come across the information which uh, is available. So you know, same same kind of. Uh, Cousin to that is uh, how, how is the game going to be whistled? What style might I uh, conjecture uh, is, is going to unfold based on who the, uh, who the officiating crew is? Sure. And, of course, in MLB, you know, umpires, some umpires
1: have tighter strike zones than others, and yep. certainly from a total standpoint, it really uh, stands out. Uh, Tony, we've got a couple of minutes for the break, and uh, let me get into uh, what I call basic strategy. We talk about basic strategy in blackjack. What's your basic strategy when it comes to NBA playoffs? What are you looking for before tip-off to get involved with a side or a total?
2: Well, I, I'm looking to see who is going. At that point, I start by giving my giving my number. So I've got my number down as to what the spread should be to you know, what the bookmaker spread is to get. You know, action both ways and then I, I I put on my coach's hat and I say all right, how how am I going to attack team B and how is team B going to attack me and who do I buy having most success in that game um, and it's especially since early in the playoffs and series uh, it's all about establishing You know that you know matchup, and that you want to uh, you know attack. So, for instance, Dallas Phoenix—it's all about putting Luka Doncic in pick and rolls. Well, how is he going to uh, to adjust? And uh, you know, early on, I thought because of the defense that Dallas had played against Utah that they would be okay, but Phoenix shredded them. So then, you know. It, it, it caused me to be wrong on, uh, on the total because I thought the first two games would go under and they both went over rather comfortably. Phoenix even had a 40-point fourth quarter in uh, game two.
1: Yeah, I had a lot of fun betting the first two games under as well. Uh, pace-wise, we were <laughs> fine. Uh, execute, you know, but from an offensive execution standpoint, you know, and that's the way totals work. Is there's, there's two elements to it, it's really for basketball. If they play slow, that's real good for unders. If they make every shot, that's not so good for unders. They played slow in each of the first two games, but making shots was a big problem for underbetters in the first two games of Suns. Match. We're going to talk Bucs, Celtics, Grizz, and Warriors. Talk about in-game strategy as well and the future markets. Stay tuned. Cover it continues after this Welcome back. Cover it with today's Covers here on SiriusXM on channel 159, the SportsGrid Radio Network. You know what's cool? <laughs> last year in 2021, the SportsGrid TV and Radio Network has reached over 150 million fans. That's all the year. Broadcast, cable TV, connected smart TV, streaming OTT platforms, mobile devices, and streaming live on the web. That was last year, 150 million. This year, even bigger. So be sure. Stay tuned. Sports Grid TV and Radio Networks. We're talking today with Tony Mejia. And, Tony, I enjoy breaking down NBA games and series with you. You're someone that, like me, loves the association. But you and I take different approaches a lot, which is why I like it when we agree. (laughs) Because I know I'm coming at it from one angle. You're coming at it from a different angle. When it comes to in-game betting basic strategy... What are you looking for in-game? My in-game basic strategy is this. I want to be betting on the team that just called the timeout because the other team just went on the 12 nothing run. That's my most basic in-game strategy for NBA is taking advantage of the down team after the other team just made them look stupid and getting the best of the number that way. What about you? What do you like doing when it comes to in-game basic strategy?
2: Yeah, I mean the basic the basic strategy is to get the best numbers. So you want to you want to back the team that you're hoping will make a comeback at its lowest point. Uh which is basically what you said. And uh I mean the 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 only other strategy is uh if you think a team that should be winning uh is is you know getting outplayed and eventually it's going to come you know you have to get it you have to pick a spot at some point but that that could get you really hurt in uh in a say Kentucky Saint Peters outcome um uh, but uh you know <laughs> but beyond that i mean that, that's if a game starts really slow and the the full game uh total uh you know comes down 10, 12, 10 to 12 15 points from where it uh where it was originally placed you're going to want to get in on that over, um, you know, especially if it's uh, a few minutes into that game uh, and, and you, you can see the teams will pick it up. So, yeah, know, that, that type of thing. So, I think in game well, we have the same strategies.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the basic concept is expect reversion to the mean. Uh, all right. Absolutely. You know, when things have gotten way off kilter compared to what the starting point spread and or total were, you're going to expect over the course of the game it to move back closer to what, The original point spread and total were. So reversion of the mean makes a whole lot of sense. Let's break down some Game 3s and some series. There are two games today on Saturday. The Boston Celtics, in early start action, travel to Milwaukee for a crucial Game 3. This series sure feels like it's going to go seven games. Yet we're seeing some Celtics money. There were threes out there on the Bucs yesterday. That's down to two today. Total... 2-13, a 125 in that range. What do you like for Milwaukee-Boston Game 3? Side, total. Talk about the series, where you think it's going to go. Any player props stand out to you. Go to
2: town. Break down the Bucks and the Celtics. Well, I mean, the Celtics are getting a lot of respect in, in, in this being a, a two-point spread on the road. Uh, they you know, were able to take care of business in Brooklyn, but this is going to be a much different atmosphere uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, but again, Chris Middleton remains out. Uh, that's that's one reason the Bucks are being undervalued at this point. But it, I mean, it is a defending champion. They did look great in, in, in bringing the fight to Boston in Game 1 and in Game 2. Two just did not go their way. Jalen Brown took over early. Jason Tatum had a much better game two than he did a game one. Uh, and they were able to replace Marcus Smart, who apparently should play in this game three. At least all signs are pointing to that. So I thought the Celtics' depth would be a factor uh, in game two. Uh, I, I thought you know that the Milwaukee would be able to put Peyton Pritchard in situations that he didn't want to be in, but to his credit, he played well. Uh, and Grant Williams, who's been the X factor in, in the entire series as far as I'm concerned with his ability to defend Giannis and to hit that corner three, um, you know, made me look foolish because he ended up taking smarts, most of smarts minutes and was extremely productive. So um, you know, the the my thoughts that taking the points with the, the Bucs, I believe it was four and a half, was the right play, uh, you know, clearly became the wrong play. And in this game three I think, uh, you know, it, it's another opportunity for Milwaukee to uh, impose their will in the series. I think uh, if you like them, you might as well bet the money line just because if it's, if it's close you don't want to push um, but uh, and then the, the fact that the spread is what it is makes the money line a manageable option yeah and then of course the math shows we've had
1: uh, Ralph Michaels on the show a number of times he always comes through uh, with his database analysis and in, in the NBA if you have a favorite of two points or less long term it's better be betting them on the money line than it is minus the one one and a half or two um, for whatever that's worth uh, there's not a, a big difference in juice between the you know minus one and a half, minus one ten, and you know uh, minus one twenty five, say in that spot, or minus one twenty on the money line uh, it tends to pay off for teams like Milwaukee. Now for the series, basically we're looking at a pick up now. I mean the the uh, Red Sox, the Celtics <laughs> are minus uh, minus the minus one twenty five, minus one thirty range to win the series. You think this is going seven games? Uh, and, you know, they say the heart of a champion is, is tough to beat. Um,
2: are the Bucks going to bounce back off that Game
1: 2 debacle?
2: Oh, I think they will. I mean, it, look, Giannis is still the best player on either side, even though Jason Tatum can be great. And, uh, you know, Jalen Brown is, isn't is even 100%. And obviously, he can impact the game at both sides as well. But it's still Giannis uh, as the, the best two-way player, the the uh, dominant force on either side. He's able to grab a rebound on one end and dunk on you on the, uh, on the other. Uh, and so that's not going to change so long as he stays out of foul trouble and stays out of that free throw pro funk, which uh, kind of its ugly had uh, earlier in the series. Uh, he had gotten it under control in the first round against uh, Chicago, but we'll see if that becomes a factor. But I, I think the Bucks have enough without Chris Middleton. With, with, with if you have Wes Matthews hitting the occasional shot, Pat Connaughton's played pretty well. Um, you know, as, as, a, as a reserve wing, and Grayson Allen uh, has has been pretty good in these playoffs, better than I expected. Then they have enough. They obviously need to compose and, and Drew Holiday to show up every night, but uh, currently they have home court advantage in the series I'm a little surprised that uh, the betting market still favor Boston to get out of it So it uh, sounds to me like you're saying Milwaukee very alive uh, to come out
1: of the bucks Celtics series and uh, like I said, I'm expecting that if there's one series that goes seven games this is the one that I expected to be Memphis Golden State yeah sure That's got seven-game potential as well. Um, If the Warriors can't figure out a way to stop John Morant, Morant went off in game two. He's gone off this whole postseason. A guy who's, you know, it started out that it was just NBA fans like in John Morant. And now it's like this guy has the potential to spill over into pop culture. I mean, he's that – it feels like he's that popular right now. What do you do with game three? Memphis and Golden State, you know, is this the heart of a champion, Warriors team, or are they that team anymore? Um, looking at uh, the live odds screen right now, I'm seeing the Warriors minus seven, let's call the total 225.5, and, and for the series, Golden State, let's call them minus 350 in that range, plus $3 to take back uh, on the Grizzlies. Give me some thoughts, game three and the series,
2: Memphis versus Golden State. Well, I absolutely do not anticipate an easy time for Golden State in this series. The the Grizzlies are bigger. Uh, they're going to be a, a bear on the boards for the, for the remainder of the series, and they get Steven Adams back to be a factor. And the matchups didn't favor him against Timberwolves, and he also dealt with COVID. But he should be a factor here for at least spot minutes. And uh, if you watch the Grizzlies during the regular season, he was a big energy guy for them. Um, obviously started most of the time, but just one of those guys with his, his great screens and his ability to fight on the offensive glass and, and uh, control the paint defensively uh, he's he's somebody that they've missed so he'll be back in the mix Dylan Brooks will be back in the mix after game three sitting out a suspension that was rightfully given to him because it was an awful play that he did to uh, incapacitate Gary Payton II who is a huge loss in the series because Payton would have been the one guy that can give you five, seven minutes on John Morant one-on-one. Now Steve Kerr is going to have to figure out a way to guard him collectively because none of his Guards can do so individually. Jordan Poole got sliced up late in that game, Um, you know that Memphis took from uh, took from Golden State specifically because of that reason, because they couldn't stop Morant, and obviously Steph Curry uh, and Klay Thompson can't either. So, uh, you know, this is John Morant's the one guy that Draymond Green can't really contain. So it'll be interesting to see how Steve Kerr finds a way to bottle him. The the Timberwolves were able to after uh, after really getting torched in Game One. Chris Finch did a really nice job. Granted, he had Patrick Beverly. Uh, but, you know, they were able to start with Beverly and then affect him in other ways, make him a passer, make him uh, make life difficult for him coming downhill. So the Warriors are going to have to find a way to do the same.
1: Yeah, I, I like Chris Fitch, even though I'm not sure that his team bought everything that he was selling. Uh, all year long. She's the only guy with a defensive mindset uh, coming from Toronto. The defensive mindset didn't exactly translate to Minnesota, certainly not in the road games. Uh, they were a pretty good uh, defensive team at home for much of this season, but uh, it didn't uh, carry over. Uh, real quick here before I ask you about a, uh, to give an opinion uh, on one of these games uh, for tonight, or any prop, or maybe you could, we could do it this way. You know, give me an opinion about one of these games uh, for today, a bettable opinion for our audience. And uh, by all means, uh, use the prop market if there's something that you're, uh, you're interested in, any prop bets you're looking to make uh, for Memphis, Golden State, or Boston, Milwaukee uh, today on Saturday.
2: Well, I, I'll say that I'll be playing the Memphis, Golden State over it's at 225 and a half, so it's the uh, the largest number I think uh, of any of the uh, conference semis is going off of, uh, and uh, I, I think it's rightfully so because you know how well the Warriors shoot it at home, uh, and I don't think that there's a fix immediately for. Containing John Morant, uh, Dylan Brooks is out for Game Three, so that's a plus defender that uh, the Grizz won't have to, to contend with. Klay Thompson and Steph Curry and Poole. So I'm going to play the high side there. And then in Buck Celtics, give me that Drew Holiday points, rebounds, and assists. that came up just short in Game Two. Uh, Bobby Portis came up uh, just short in Game Two on their on his scoring prop. I was on both of those in Game One and two. In Game One they both hit. In Game Two they were slightly off, and that was the game was lopsided, so might go back to the well on that. The books obviously need uh, Portis to be a scorer given the attention that uh, Giannis commands and then Drew Holiday uh, needs to play like an all-star every time out and uh, he has so far. Yeah, I mean, Holiday certainly
1: capable although, uh, again, on the defensive end, uh, Marcus Smart. He's no joke. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and tomorrow comes
2: back now. That's true. That's a good
1: point. Yeah, yeah. Much like Patrick Beverly, no joke on the defensive end of the court. Uh, Tony Mejia, promote yourself, my friend. Where do people find you? Uh, What do you have to offer?
2: All right. Find me at Wagers Talk. We got the rest of the playoffs. I'm up uh, 150 units on on point spread plays for this NBA season. That ranks number one at the site, and uh, we'll hope to finish off a lot stronger than these conference semifinals have started. That's for sure. And then. NFL and college football on the horizon. We're working with MLB and USFL right now. So USFL week four is underway here. And uh, yeah, just find me in the lab at Wager Talk making uh, making music with uh, yourself and others in the Wager Talk family. Great stuff. Thank you so
1: much. Tony Mejia at com. When we come back, I'm going to give you Kentucky Derby thoughts. Stay tuned. Coverage continues
0: sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com we're here in the home
1: stretch of Cover it with Teddy Covers Sirius XM channel 159 listen If you missed any portion of today's program, if you want to re-consume at your convenience, just download the podcast version. Search Cover It with Teddy Covers. It's available at all major podcast outlets, all minor podcast outlets. You can find it. Not hard to find. And again, you can download and consume at your convenience. You can check out the archives. Every single show that I've done. Is out there. You make fun of my Super Bowl prediction from two years ago. Whatever you want to do. Again, all major podcast outlets. Just search Cover It with Teddy Covers. The Kentucky Derby is today. I know nothing about horse racing. I do, however, talk to people who know something. And a couple of horses keep coming up in all my discussions. Uh, I've been talking with people all week about the Derby. And basically, these two horses again and again... People were talking to me about one is the three horse epicenter, the other one is the ten horse Zandon. Can I tell you why these horses are good? I cannot. I know epicenter was like a, a buddy of mine is a future honor, like thirty three to one to win the Derby, and he's one of the favorites now. Uh, Zandon not behind, uh, not far behind in that in that regard. And of course, we've seen a fair few upsets in the Derby over the years. If you're looking for a trifecta, you may want to look a little deeper. Uh, Down the card. Maybe the eight-horse Charge it uh, is another guy that I've heard from a couple of different guys mouths as being a Potential longer shot that could be live in the Kentucky Derby and Look the Derby's like this All right You lose, 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 lose, and the one year you win and you make it all back. (laughs) So it's not a scenario. I don't bet big on the Derby. I don't. It's action wager only for me. But that concept of it being the most exciting two minutes in sports, I don't know that I disagree with that, man. Just standing up going, get up, Six! Get up! (laughs) It's always a lot of fun. Anyhow, the number three horse epicenter The number 10 horse Zandon. That's what my smart guys have given to me. So I'll give it to you for the derby today. Best of luck. Enjoy the
2: games and the races. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.